Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Hi everyone, the more I teach on Christian leadership and discipleship, the more I'm convinced of one thing. We got to return to a Christocentricity in Christian leadership and discipleship today. The Apostle Paul exemplified this brilliantly. In the book of Colossians, for example, Paul was combating the Colossian heresy, a form of pre-Christian Gnosticism, and he did so not by mere theological propositions or philosophical arguments, but by returning to a Christology that is essentially captured by a triple portrait of Christ. So the entire book of Colossians is rooted in three epic portraits of Christ. First, Christ the Mysterion, the mystery once hidden but now revealed. It is about His awesome redemption in the Gospel. Second, Christ the Prototokos, the firstborn and source of all creation, evidence, by His glorious resurrection. And third, Christ the Pleroma, the fullness of God, fully manifested at His return. Like three legs of a stool, the whole of Christology can be summarized in these three foundational truths, the redemption of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the return of Christ. Everything we are to know about Jesus Christ comes in this tree, the redemption of Christ. That's why we emphasize the cross, the cross, and the resurrection of Christ, the conquest. This is the victory cry of the early church. He is risen, and the return of Christ, the consummation. We cannot lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again soon. The center of gravity in Christianity is fundamentally important. And so there is a critical need to return to this very center, to be Christ-centered. For if anything else is at the center, we are off-centered as Christian disciples. Here's the enormous implication. If we are to return to a Christology, a Christocentricness in both leadership and discipleship, and if this Christocentricity is rooted in the sacred Word of God, then getting into the Word is crucial for leadership and discipleship today. Here's the point. The purpose of getting into the Word is not so that we can be clever or smart or scholarly or knowledgeable about the Bible. Rather, it's that we might know Christ, that we might know life in Him, victory in Him, joy in Him, purpose in Him, a sense of mission in Him. For Jesus Christ Himself said in John 5.39, the Scriptures, they bear witness to me. It is written of me. So three things. The greatest need in discipleship and leadership today is to be Christocentric, Christ-centered. Second, to be Christocentric, we must get into the Word. And third, to get into the Word, we must respond aright to the Word of God. So here's the central question that I want to explore with us today. How can we respond aright to the Word of God? 
In Mark chapter 12, verse 18 to 34, we find Jesus' encounter with the religious establishment. And from this encounter, we can learn three right responses to the Word of God. Would you pray with me and ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word today? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, once again, we ask you open our eyes that we can behold wondrous truth out of your Word. And help us not just to be hearers of your Word, but doers also that we might grow thereby. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. There are three responses, three right responses to the Word of God. The first response is to know God's Word. We must encounter the primacy of God's Word. In Mark chapter 12, the Sadducees came to Jesus with a trick question. They challenged Jesus with a theological conundrum, a controversial question that ignited a theological debate over a mosaic law that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. That law was ordained for the preservation of families. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 19 to verse 23. And Sadducees came to him who says there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question in verse 19 to 23. Here's the conundrum and the question. Let me summarize the argument for you. They came to Jesus and said, Okay, professor, didaskalos, teacher, if a man dies and leaves his wife with no child, and the Mosaic law says that his brother must take the widow and raise up offspring for his deceased brother, now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and then he died, left no offspring. So the second took her, and then he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and so forth. And hypothetically, all seven had married the woman because none had left any offspring. I can imagine some laughter from a few men in the crowd. Now, the Sadducees concluded smugly in their cross-examination. In the resurrection, which the Sadducees don't believe in, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. All eyes were on Jesus. Would this young Galilean preacher have an answer to these legal ambiguities? Of course, Jesus had an answer. In fact, Jesus gave a two-part answer. He gave the most important answer first, and then he gave the answer to the superficial question. Now, here's the second part. Let us consider the second part first. Verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Good answer. Jesus points out that the difficulty in debate revolves around the false notion that the connections on earth must be continued in heaven. This, of course, is not so. But don't miss the more important answer given in part 1 in verse 24. Jesus said to them, get this, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Here's the point Jesus is making. The primacy of the Word of God. The foundation of the Word of God. We must get back to this primacy, to this foundation of God's Word. You see, the Sadducees were unwilling to change their traditions or their worldview in the light of God's Word and God's truth. 
Therefore, they don't really know the word of God. And Jesus said, how can you argue these things theologically and think you are clever in your argument when you don't know the word of God? Now, here's the application. As Christians, we must know the Bible because the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible consists of 66 books written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, written by about 40 different authors over a span of 1,005 to 1,600 years. And yet, in spite of this, there is an amazing unity in the whole of the Scriptures. We must encounter afresh the primacy of the Word of God in our lives. It is so important. When one of our pastors was installed, I wouldn't tell you who this pastor is, but he had an audacious request. In fact, when he wrote to me in his email, he himself called it an audacious request. And I'm seeing the term audacious in a positive sense of one who has the willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. For he wrote to me a personal letter with a personal request, asking for a personal gift. Yeah, what audacity, right? But that's not the audacious part. The audacious part was in the specific gift that he asked for. In his email, he asked, could I have one of your marked Bibles? Now, over the years, I have several marked Bibles. The first is my Bible College Bible, the Riley Study Bible, which now has a paid value of $168,000. You see, at one of our church fundraising auctions for our church building project, I had given this Bible College Study Bible for auction. The winning bid was $168,000 raised, and unexpectedly, the Bible was returned back to me, and I'm thankful. So now this Bible has a paid value of over 120,000 US dollars. Among some of my other newer marked Bibles is a wide margin Bible in the ESV version. The multiple blank pages allow me the space to write out some thoughts and reflections. It takes time, but it's worthwhile. Here's a study of John's Gospel and the margin contains the theology of the incarnation of Christ. It is a fantastic theme in John's prologue to this amazing gospel, the Gospel of John. In these marked Bibles is the study of the book of Psalms and of the book of Ecclesiastes, gleaned from the preaching of that book many years ago. In its margins are written these words, Life without God is but a contradiction of terms. For without God, life is spiritually barren, philosophically sterile, existentially meaningless, and thus ultimately futile. So you see, a Mark Bible is highly personal, and I have a few of them. Now, I have given several new Bibles, letter Bibles to different pastors, but not one of my personally marked Bibles. But for this pastor, and he told me later it was his own faith journey of daring to ask, and yes, for the record, I gave him one of my own Mark Bibles because he was the first with the audacity to ask. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, I also want. Can I have one of your Mark Bibles too? Well, I have a better suggestion for you. I'll tell you how I mark my Bible and you can mark it for yourself. Take five colour markers. Yellow, red, orange, blue and green. I use the yellow to mark out the principles of God's Word. The unchanging principles by which the unchanging God works with us. Then the red, I mark the sins and the conviction of sins because red represents the blood of Christ that covers and forgives our sins. And then for the promises of God, I use the orange marker. Orange representing for me like gold and these are the precious promises of the Word of God. And then the blue marker, like in blue background, blue sea, blue sky, I use it to mark the background information. And the green, like green grass, green trees, freshness, I use it to mark fresh insights from the Word of God. But how do we glean biblical insights? Listen, towards the end of this sermon, I will introduce to you a Bible tool so that you too can glean the insightful riches of the Word of God. And then you mark your own Bible meaningfully. It is a fantastic investment of time. It is so worthwhile. Get this, the Word of God is totally beyond description. God's Word metahorizes everything else. In other words, it defines all that we see in our existential horizon and determines all that we are unable to see beyond our horizons. That in both the seen and the unseen, the Word of God stands supreme. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The primacy of God's Word. This is of first importance. That's our response to God's Word. It is foundational. It is important. It is fundamental to our lives. The second response is to believe God's Word. We must emphasize the preciseness of God's Word. An old story was told of a boy being corrected by his grammar teacher. He kept saying, I was gone, I was gone. So the teacher corrected him. And he kept on saying, I was gone. So before he was allowed to go home, the teacher told him to write, I am gone, a hundred times on the blackboard. He dutifully wrote out the hundred lines. And as he was about to leave the classroom to go home, he turned back and wrote these final words. Dear teacher, I wrote a hundred times, I am gone. Now I was gone. Ah, habits die hard. Sometimes grammar is not that important, at other times it is. In Mark chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus gave the Sadducees both a grammatical lesson as well as a theological one. For Jesus wasn't done with his answer. He now reverses the table and raises a question for his questioners. In verse 26, it says, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, 
how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Verse 27, He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am. In the Greek, the verb I am is implied. It is precise in his thought nonetheless. And Jesus capitalized on his preciseness to make a pointed argument. The force of the argument is this, that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When God say, I am the God of Abraham, their souls are still alive. God is not the God of dust and ashes. He's the God of the living. And if these patriarchs are still alive, there must be a resurrection. Here is one of the most important questions we must face. Is there life after death? The Word of God is precise on this. There is. If not, if there's no life after death, then nothing is meaningful and everything is meaningless. But there is life after death and the Word of God guides us unto that life. But someone has argued, the Bible is for silly, ignorant people. Really? Silly, ignorant people? That's quite a presumptuous statement. In Job chapter 26, verse 7, the Bible tells us that God hangs the earth upon nothing. How did Job, the ancient one, knows that the earth hung in space, in nothingness, before the age of modern science and space travel? It is the precise revelation of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, Isaiah says, It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. The word circle here means a globe or sphere. How did the ancient Isaiah know that the earth is round? It's a sphere. The precise revelation of God. Nelson Gouet was the Jewish archaeologist whose pioneering work in biblical archaeology resulted in the discovery of 1,500 ancient sites. In his book, Rivers in the Desert, this renowned archaeologist wrote, No archaeological discovery has ever been made that contradicts or controverts historical statements of Scripture. Quite the contrary. Archaeology has facilitated confidence in the historicity of the Bible over and over again. The Bible is a precise book. Abraham Lincoln certainly wasn't silly and ignorant. He said, I'm profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all of this book that you can by reason and the balance by faith, and you will live and die a better man. George Washington, he said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Sir Isaac Newton, I have a fundamental belief in the Bible as the Word of God, written by men who were inspired. I study the Bible daily. St. Augustine, the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. D.L. Moody, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Mahatma Gandhi, you Christians look after a document that contains enough dynamite 
to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. What an indictment. That's why getting into the Word is not simply about literature or textual mastery. It's about knowing Christ, the Messiah and the Prince of Peace. John Wesley says, This book had to be written by one of three people, good men, bad men, or God. It couldn't be written by good men because they said it was inspired by the revelation of God. Good men don't lie and deceive. It couldn't have been written by bad men because bad men wouldn't have written something that would condemn themselves. It leaves only one conclusion. It was given by inspiration of God. That is why John Wesley says, let me be a man of one book, the Bible. What a response to the Word of God. There are three right responses. The first response to know God's Word the second response to believe God's Word, and the third response to live out God's Word. To know God's Word, we must encounter the primacy of the Word of God. To believe God's Word, we must emphasize the preciseness of the Word of God. To live out God's Word, we must experience the power of God's Word. That's what Mark chapter 12 points us to. It points us to the primacy of God's Word, the preciseness of God's Word, and the power of God's Word. Mark chapter 12, verse 34. And when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of heaven. The power of God's Word draws us unto God, draws us unto His kingdom. There was a spiritually hungry scribe. He listened to this debate, listened to the answer of Jesus. His heart was touched and moved. And so he came to Jesus with an honest question this time. Not a trick question to try to trap Jesus, but his honest question is, Lord, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is the great Shema confession of the Jews. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to Jesus, in essence, you are right, teacher, to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbor as ourselves is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, that's incredible for a Jew in Jesus' day to say. He's saying that love supersedes tradition. He was willing, in other words, to examine his tradition, his presuppositions, his bias, his worldview in the light of God's word and God's truth. He was willing to live aligned to the word of God. No wonder Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We need a willingness to know the truth, to believe the truth, to live out the truth in 
the Word of God. You see, I've often said this. I want to remind you again as I reiterate this. The most important world we live in is the unseen world. Not the seen world, the unseen world. And the most precious commodity in the unseen world is truth. And this truth is found in the Word of God. It's found not by reason or by tradition or by knowledge. It is found in the revelation of God. Because unless God reveals to us eternal things, we are not able to understand, we are not able to see. So the Word of God is given to us, His revelation of the things that are eternal, the things that are important. And the Word of God is the foundation to life, the foundation to leadership, the foundation to discipleship. We must have a biblical renaissance to return to the Word of God. Let me close with a testimony and a recommendation for you. 2020 will go down in my journal as a significant year. It is the year of a pandemic shutdown and the Lord has laid upon my heart a discipleship reimagined through a global biblical renaissance. In essence, it champions a return to a Christocentric leadership and discipleship through the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God. A renaissance, an enlightenment, a return, an understanding of the deeper truths of God's revelation. It all started with a divine appointment. In mid-September 2020, Pastor Kok Guan invited me for a meal together. The invitation was for any time next year in 2021. I said, sure, first quarter of 2021. But the Lord spoke to me, made him soonest. So I followed the Lord's leading. We met, there was no agenda. It was a lunch fellowship. And we talked about the Word of God and, and I introduced him to the Discovery Bible. We had a good fellowship. We said goodbye. The next day, he sent me the Discovery Bible website. I visited the website and I was thrilled that, that the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greek and the Hebrew, the study of the text was so rich and so wonderful. And as I, as I look at the website, the Lord spoke to me and specifically said, contact Gary Hill, the author of the Discovery Bible 2. I have not seen Gary Hill for 30 years. Gary was an acquaintance of mine. I don't even know if he's still alive after 30 years. I obeyed the Lord's prompting immediately. I gave a call and, and Gary, a 70-year-old missionary, when he received the call, our spirits were instantly knitted together in the light of God's wonderful Word. We were passionate about the Scriptures. We talked like long-lost old friends. And as I shared my conviction with him of the need to be Christocentric in our leadership and our discipleship rooted in the Word of God because the Word of God reveals Christ. And I shared concerning the triple portrait of Christ in Colossians, the Musterion, the Prototokos, the Pleroma. Gary asked if he could include the chairman of his board in our conversation. Sure, I said. So he contacted the chairman of the board in Adelaide, Australia, I'm calling from Singapore. Gary is in Chicago. Three of us got connected and Gary says, could you share the three things again with, with the chairman of my board? So I shared with Sam the three things again about Christ, the triple portrait of Christ, that they need to come back to a crystal centricity. 
And after I reiterated in my typical enthusiasm, there are three things about Jesus we must grasp. Gary revealed to us that in his prayer watch, the Lord has spoken to him explicitly and told him to look for someone who will come to speak to him about a triple thing. And when I did, Gary said, there was a weakness in his spirit that confirmed that the Lord has sent me to him and the Lord has knitted us together. Someone out of the blue, someone he has not met for over 30 years. Now, acknowledging that this was a divine appointment, Gary Hill and I committed ourselves to a kingdom collaboration of getting the church back to the Word of God so that, here's the purpose, so that Christ is revealed, so that Christ is enthroned, so that there's a return to Christocentricity, Christ-centeredness in Christian leadership and Christian discipleship today. Gary Hill has given 40 years of his life to a ministry devoted to the Scriptures. Just check out the discoverybible.com. He had personally taken about 30,000 pastors through biblical exegesis and hermeneutics workshop in 12 countries. Together, we are passionate about a biblical renaissance in three vital areas. Number one, raising a whole new generation of leaders and preachers mighty in the Scriptures. The second, equipping pastors and lay leaders to assess the riches of the Hebrew and Greek texts, even though they do not have a seminary education on the original languages. And number three, reclaiming the lost grounds of biblical discipleship that has been weakened by biblical illiteracy and lethargy. So to move this vision forward, a biblical renaissance that, that will put Christ-centricity, Christocentricity in the heart of leadership and discipleship, I swiftly called for a Zoom meeting with 10 of my international mentorees and two of the International Global Alliance partners. The meeting was set for my earliest convenient date, which was October 2nd. When I WhatsApp to Gary the date, we are going to meet on October 2nd, come join us. We talk over the phone, over WhatsApp. And he joyfully confirmed that the Lord has given him another sign, a second sign. The Lord has said to him, there will be a person coming to you. He's not going to tell you just three things. But the date, 1st October, is going to be a significant date. Now, here's the thing. 2nd October in Singapore is 1st October, Chicago, USA. Exactly as the Lord has said. I share this divine appointment with you as well as this discipleship reimagined through a biblical global renaissance because I want to encourage you back to the Word of God. Here's my humble recommendation. Go to the discoverybible.com website, download the two weeks free trial, look at a word study. At the moment, it's the most unique Bible tool in the planet for word study. It is highly endorsed by prominent theological schools and eminent biblical scholars. And you don't need a theological degree to benefit from it. Here's a testimony from Pastor Bunny Lau. He said, I first got hold of a used print copy of the New Testament of the Discovery Bible in 2011. And later in 2014, the whole Bible in the Mac software version. The Discovery Bible has been an invaluable and indispensable exegetical resource for me ever since. The Bible, 
with all its contextual and literary richness and nuances in the original languages, comes alive for me with the Discovery Bible. Its system of in-text annotations invites the reader into the literary world of the Bible with its context, emphasis, depth, and colour of the translated English words and their meanings. I did not need any prior knowledge of Hebrew or Greek. The Discovery Bible actually helps me to read the scriptures and stay longer in it before needing to refer to any commentary. This is always a good thing. And when the reader needs help with the scripture passage at hand, the software includes good quality commentaries to help. As such, I strongly and heartily recommend the Discovery Bible to everyone, especially to the lay Bible student or reader. That's my recommendation to you. It is a worthwhile tool. You see, my friends, in the midst of the pandemic and the panic, the disappointments and the distress, the problems and the pain, we must return to the Word of God. For COVID-19 may have shut us in, but the Word of God is not bound. Get into the Word. Know the Word. Believe the Word. Live out the Word of God. May the Lord help you in this season to come into a greater awareness of the power of God's Word so that you know its preciseness and its primacy in your life, so that it leads you closer to the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow with me and pray? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, tutor us in the Holy Scriptures. Bring us into your Holy Word, because your Word speaks truth and life to us. It tells us about Jesus, it tells us all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. The Word of God tells us that believing in Jesus, we might have life eternal. Help us therefore to know Your Word, believe Your Word, live out Your Word, respond to Your Word that we might have life. And for those of us who have received this free gift of God, this eternal life in Christ. Help us to commit our fresh, ourself afresh to the Holy Scriptures, to get into the Holy Scriptures, that the Word of God is alive in us. We thank you for this, dear God. In Jesus' name, Amen. unto my feet and a light unto my path Thy word is a lamb unto my feet and a light unto my path When I feel afraid think I've lost my way still you're there right beside me And nothing will I fear As long as you are near Please be near 
Spirit has spoken to you through the worship and His Word. Here are two reflection questions for you and your family or CG to reflect upon and also have deeper discipleship conversations. First question, why is the Word of God so important in Christian leadership and discipleship? Secondly, how can we return to the primacy of God's Word in our lives? Allow me to close us with the benediction. Let us pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you with a wonderful week of walking in His love. you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811, or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.